Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of once saved, always saved, and I've been addressing some of the common passages in the scriptures that people will refer to when discussing this subject in order to address the topic. I certainly cannot cover all of the verses in the scriptures that people refer to, but I can address some. I believe I can address enough in order to give you the content that you need in order to take the time to look at the other ones that people will often bring up. I certainly cannot do an exhaustive study on this, but I am spending a lot of time on many of the passages. In today's program, I'm going to go into Hebrews chapter 3, into the book of Hebrews. And of course, I have done a verse-by-verse study on the book of Hebrews that I would like to encourage you to listen to. I have spent a lot of time talking about the content that is found in the book of Hebrews in those programs But I did not address this specific subject while I was going through those passages, and so I feel comfortable in doing that right now. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Beginning in verse 11, he says, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. All right, now in this passage in Hebrews, What people will generally refer to is the opportunity for a person to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and that they fail to hold the beginning of their confidence steadfast to the end. That's in verse 14. And in verse 15, he says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, the idea here is that if a person engages in sin to a certain extent, then through engaging in their sin, what is expected is that there will be a hardening of the heart to the extent that you will fail. You will fail or you will fall. You will effectively not be a partaker of Christ because you didn't hold steadfast all the way to the end. Now, what people will then say is they will follow up with this and explain that when you get saved, you had better watch out for sin. You had better be careful of sin because if you begin to engage in sin, it could harden your heart to the extent where you don't hold fast to your confidence of your salvation, of your relationship with God, of your walk in the faith, whatever it may be. If you fail to follow through and hold this confidence all the way to the end of your life, then there is the possibility that the Lord will simply not allow you to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. That's the risk. 
Now, if this is the risk, then how will you know if you have qualified under this criteria? This is going to be uncertain. The reason why I am confident in saying that this is going to be uncertain is because chances are you do have some sin in your life. So if that's the case, if you do have some sin in your life, then when would you feel comfortable in saying that you have continued in that sin or you have been deceived by that sin? How many more years do you have to follow through with that sin before you have a suspicion that it might qualify you to be in this category to the extent that you have hardened your heart. You have hardened your heart or your heart has become hardened because of the deceitfulness of it. And the way that we can say that that has probably occurred is because you won't stop it. Now, we could probably include all of those sins that you are not aware of, but we don't need to do that. Let's just stick with the ones that you do know. And you know that your heart is hardened because you won't give it up. You won't stop it. You won't quit it. You won't get that sin out of your life, whatever it may be. And I feel very comfortable in saying that to everyone, knowing that everyone has got some sin of some kind that could fit into this category with this uncertain definition of to what degree do you have to engage in it before you would say that your heart is hardened because of it. I personally believe that something could be found in everyone's life that would meet this criteria if this is the proper interpretation, which would lead to only one conclusion. No one, absolutely no one, will ever fulfill what is expected here. No one will become a partaker of Christ because no one will hold fast their confidence, steadfast all the way to the end. No one's going to do it. Therefore, no one will qualify here. If that is the interpretation of this passage, the only conclusion a person can come to, if they are going to be honest, is that no one will ever achieve this. Now, I certainly do not believe that that is what he was intending to say. I just don't. But I wanted to express that this is the position that is commonly taken when people will examine this. And I have seen a variety of approaches that people have taken most of the time, people leave it open-ended. Open-ended in the sense that, well, we don't want to really say that you are guilty of this. Not quite yet. We'll wait maybe until it becomes too much of a problem, and then we'll say this in order to give you some incentive to stop doing that because it's disrupting things. People will want to keep it open-ended because they do not want to be absolute, because they know that if they are absolute in their position, like I just described... No one is going to have any hope at all. So leave it open-ended in order to give most people a little bit of hope, but also so that at any convenient time, convenient for the leadership, of course, a pastor or a leader can pull this out and use this in order to give you some incentive or inspiration to stop that sin that is apparent in your life. This is why people do not want to really take a good, solid position on what they really believe about what this says. Now, my position is not complicated. It's very simple, and I will spend some time talking about that in just a moment. But I wanted to make this clear, that if a person does not take a strong position, if they leave any ambiguity, if they leave any openness, then they should at least be honest and say that they do not really know for certain. 
But when they claim that they do know for certain and don't give you any certainties to the extent that I just described, then you're dealing with a person who might be a little dishonest. Now, this chapter, chapter 3, and especially chapter 4, are very important to me personally. Because what he is talking about in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is entering into his rest. That's what he's talking about. Now, he could possibly be referring to salvation to an extent, and I I can appreciate that. He might be referring to salvation. If he is, this is easy to deal with. Hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That would be to the end of the point where you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, you believe in what he has done, and you trust in what he has done. Now, this could very well have been the intent of the writer. I can see that this could have been the intent, because the way that he wrote his letter, it was open-ended in order to deal with the topics that would be considered by those who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and also those who did believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but may not have really trusted in what he accomplished to the extent where a person would be set free from the law. There is a lot in the content found here in the book of Hebrews, an awful lot, and I do not believe that he is addressing unbelievers exclusively or believers exclusively. To me, he is writing this letter to the Hebrews in general, in the general context, expecting that those who are Hebrews will read this, and because of the background that would be expected of a Hebrew, they would have a distinct appreciation for the things that he communicated. And of course, I'd like to mention again that I did do a verse-by-verse study on the book of Hebrews from a Jewish perspective, from my perspective being in rabbinical Judaism, seeing the content through the eyes of a person who did study and for a time lived under the precepts of rabbinical and pharisaical Judaism. And so I have a unique perspective concerning the book of Hebrews, and I spent a lot of time teaching through that. But in this case, while... It could very well be, and I will allow for that, he could be referring to salvation, even though I would not have that bias. He could be referring to salvation. If he is, to me, the end is the point when you truly embrace the Messiah for who he is and you are saved. To me, that is the end. Considering the content in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 2, where he is establishing the credibility of the Lord Jesus, those are not normally things that you present when speaking to someone who is a believer already. Those are the kinds of things that you present to unbelievers or perhaps believers who are new to the faith. That's what I read in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 2, so I will have that bias concerning Hebrews chapter 3. But having said all of that, I do have a different opinion concerning Hebrews chapter 3. I don't believe that he was referring to the topic of salvation when he presented this. Instead, what I see here, I personally see that he's talking about entering into his rest in terms of the relationship that you have now in Christ Jesus. If you have been saved... If you have been resurrected through your belief in the gospel, you are going to go through a series of transitions that people often describe as growing in your faith, maturing in your faith. You should expect there to be some transitions, some changes, some discoveries, some changes in terms of what you believe, what you used to believe and what you believe now. 
even when it comes to the subject of the New Covenant and the Scriptures. And certainly the topic of rest is one of those topics that will come up as a person begins to mature and grow in their faith. When a person is first saved, when, when I speak with a person about the gospel, I don't talk about everything all at once. I certainly can't do that. I address the specifics about salvation, about the gospel. I can speak a little bit about what they can expect to occur, what they can expect to experience as they grow and mature. But when it comes to the subject of rest, this is a big one. This is one that will often take some time to work through. For myself, this was probably the biggest issue that I personally had to deal with as I was making the transition from living according to the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from being a Hebrew who would live his life in the pursuit of the New Covenant to discover the inheritance in Christ Jesus and how that might be utilized in my life. There was a transition, and this was this was certainly the biggest one for me. It had to do with entering into his rest, specifically the Sabbath law. So that's the bias that I have when I read through this as a Hebrew. I do have that bias, not of salvation, but of this transition of now that I am in Christ, what does it mean to now be in Christ, to live in Christ? And how is that going to be reflected in who I am and in how I live? What is going to be the change concerning letting go of my old life and embracing a new life? From that point of view, I'll begin again in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And of course, he was referring specifically to the promised land when he said this. But as you continue to read into chapter 4, he does tell you that there is another rest besides that. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, this is the definition of sin, and that is unbelief, that you do not believe. That, in effect, is to depart from the living God. Depart from him completely in terms of walking away from your salvation? I don't see that. What I see in terms of departing from the living God in this case is just simply not believing what God has conveyed. I can still be saved and be confused and then be corrected and then return. That, to me, is the extent of what is described here in the context of unbelief. And again, this could refer to salvation. That is a truth. I'm just not very confident that that is what he is intending to describe in chapter 3 here in verse 12. In verse 13, but exhort one another daily. This is one of the reasons why I don't believe that this is specific to salvation, because he's talking about a daily exhortation. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What is this sin? It is the deceitfulness of the sin of unbelief. Unbelief, which is something that everyone struggles with in their own ways. In verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. All right. To be a partaker of Christ, you're going to hold your confidence steadfast to the end of something. There's going to be an ending to which once you reach that end, you will know that you are a partaker of Christ 
in the context of entering into his rest. It does not have to mean entering into the totality. It does not have to mean partaking in the totality of Christ. To me, he's just talking about the subject of entering into his rest. Now, there certainly is a lot of truth to the topic of being a partaker of Christ, you must believe. If you are going to partake of anything, you must believe. Forgiveness, for example. If you're going to partake of the forgiveness of Christ, you're going to have to believe in forgiveness. Now, I, of course, have had a lot to say about the topic of forgiveness in various radio programs that I have produced that should give you the indication that there are a lot of Christians who struggle with the topic of forgiveness that shows that there are many people who I believe can legitimately be recognized as believers, as Christians, who are not partaking of that part of Christ. And so in this case, I feel very comfortable in saying that there are people who are not partaking of the rest in Christ, just as I would say that there are many believers who are not fully partaking of the forgiveness of Christ because of their unbelief. Their unbelief about some things doesn't mean that they have unbelief about the totality of Jesus, just about some things. And so in verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end in the context of embracing the rest that he has called us to. In verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That is the introduction that gets you into Hebrews chapter 4. Once you get into Hebrews chapter 4, you see more. He says a lot more about this. Consider Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it, come short of entering into the rest. That doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means that you have not fully embraced the implications of the salvation that you have received. In verse 2, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now here he does speak about the gospel in terms of the good news. That's true, but he's making a comparison. A comparison with regards to the magnitude of unbelief. They heard a good news about entering in to the rest of the promised land. But we have heard a good news of entering into the rest that Christ has called us to. In verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Again, verse 3 is a continuation from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. In chapter 4, verse 4, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, again, this has to do with the Sabbath law. It has to do with the reality of the Sabbath law, that the Sabbath law foreshadowed a rest that we can now have in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. He's using repetition in order to get to a specific point. I'm not going to read the rest of these verses. I'm going to go right down to verse 10 where he says, 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. He's talking about entering into the rest that was foreshadowed by the Sabbath law, which has to do with resting from your works of righteousness, resting from your works of trying to be right with God, resting from your works to include the work of resting on the Sabbath day, which is a work in and of itself. That's the context of Hebrews chapter 3 into Hebrews chapter 4, where he is speaking about unbelief, falling away, having a hardened heart, in order to explain the significance of entering into the rest that was foreshadowed by the Sabbath law. This has to do with your walk in Christ Jesus. It does not have to do with your salvation. I feel very confident in saying that because that is my own personal experience. It was my experience that about three years after I was saved, and I have a lot of confidence in saying that I was saved at this point. It was about three years later that I was spending a lot of time examining Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 because this was a serious matter for me because I was still living according to the law. I believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I testified that Jesus was the Messiah. I believed the gospel. I testified of the gospel. But I did not understand the magnitude of the implications of what he accomplished for me. I didn't understand that until I was wrestling with the subject of the Sabbath law and the Lord revealed to me through Hebrews chapter 4 He even used a very close brother at that time who did suggest that I spend time looking at this because I was expressing to him that living in obedience to the Sabbath law did not seem to be an act of rest to me. And he gave me this weird look and said to me, you know, brother, I I don't think that this is where the Christian life is at. Why don't you spend some time in Hebrews chapter 4? That's what got me started with this. Once I embraced this, I then believed. What did I believe? I believed the implications of the gospel. I believed the implications of what he accomplished for me in forgiveness to set me free from the totality of the law. This was that transition. My heart was hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin of unbelief. It was hardened in a way that I could not enter his rest because I was still trying to be right with him through my repentance and obedience. So what did I do? I believed. That was it. I simply established that moment when I saw the truth. I established that moment as the moment when I would believe and I would enter into his rest, even though I had no idea what that would be like or what that would be about. I knew that what I was resting in was not it, just as a Hebrew at this time when this letter was written should have acknowledged and recognized that entering into the promised land was not entering into his rest. Entering into the rest of the Sabbath law was not entering into his rest. There must be a rest, and certainly there remained a rest for the people of God. In verse 9, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So in the topic of once saved, always saved, in the topic of can a person lose their salvation? Can their hearts be so hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that they will no longer be a partaker of Christ in the sense that they will lose their salvation? No, I don't see that at all. But I can say that if a person fails to enter into his rest, then they will not partake of that part of Christ. They will not partake of the rest that he has called us to. They can very well be saved and deceived, just like a person can be saved and be deceived about other things, have their heart hardened to other things. I used forgiveness as an example earlier in order to show you that there are some examples that we can refer to that I believe are evident throughout the Christian world, that we would not declare through those that a person may lose their salvation. So why would we declare this to be any different? I have known many people who have failed to enter into his rest who were not living in obedience to the Sabbath law, who were not devoting their lives to the law in that way. I've known many people who still failed to enter in to the rest that he called us to because in their own way, they would not believe that he set them free from a life of repentance and obedience. They would not believe that in their own way because of their own religion that they were a part of. I have known people who have struggled with this, who also failed to enter into his rest, and some even went so far as to embrace the Sabbath law as part of their life, to rest on the seventh day of the week in an attempt to enter into his rest, missing entirely what he said here in the book of Hebrews. But this does not mean that they will have lost their salvation if they had it. They can just simply have their heart hardened to the extent where they will not partake in the rest of Christ, the rest in Christ in this aspect. They may be able to rest in him in other ways, but in this way they will be in rebellion, and they will miss out on a relationship that they could have had while they were here. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you